Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The DH Effect, where we pledge to having a decided heart through taking personal ownership, building high trust relationships, and creating a space of belonging. These three things create the decided heart effect. My name is Sonia Montiel, and I am joined with my co-host far, far away, Hillary Bilbrey, all the way out in where? Nashville tonight. (laughs) So fun. Nashville, Tennessee. And we are so excited to have our amazing guest, Raven Harris. She is the CEO and founder of Activate the Dream. Such a fan of that. She partners with colleges and companies to increase engagement and improve performance. Raven, you are a master at awakening the dreams of emerging and established leaders. So incredible, so powerful. Um, Welcome to our show, Raven. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. We are so pleased to have you with us. And one of the things that is so interesting and curious about your background is that you started in healthcare. And now here you are working with individuals, organizations, schools to help them activate their dreams. Can you tell us a little bit about that journey, your decided heart moments along the way? Yes. So it all starts with, I feel like podiatry of all things, right? The feet. (laughs) So when I was in undergrad, I was pre-med and I did an apprenticeship with a podiatrist and we were matched in these apprenticeships. So I remember being disappointed. I was like feet of all things. I wanted to do like real medicine. So it turned out to be one of the most phenomenal experiences of my life. This particular podiatrist really feel like gave me a lot of mentorship and, and reminded me that it's super important to understand the business side of healthcare. And so towards my junior year, I decided, you know, I'm really not interested in being a physician. So I forego um, took taking the MCAT and I decided, you know what, I want to do healthcare administration. So I was like, great, a, a nice balance or marrying of the business side as well as healthcare. But I remember throughout in my entire time in undergrad, I was taking, I was a biology major. I was taking a lot of um, hard science classes and I remember not enjoying them. I remember just being kind of annoyed going through the motion. And I had a friend and I feel like this was like foreshadowing like my future as well as someone who really saw this even when I kind of took a blind eye towards it. She was like, you know why you hate mixing the chemicals? It's because you were meant to present the chemicals. You were meant to be Mm. magazines to display or, or be in front of the stage and talk about the research, the information you're not made to be behind the lab because every time, you know, something was supposed to turn out blue, mine turned out pink. If it was supposed to (laughs) mine turn out cold, it was just a mess. So I was like, "Eh, maybe that's not your, your calling. So didn't really catch that message, kind of heard it and didn't hear it my senior year. Graduated with my biology degree, um, married the two of business and healthcare, went on to do healthcare administration, got into this field and it was really last year. That was a turning point for me. And that moment or that day was my birthday. My birthday is June 19th. And I, that previous March, the first Monday in March, I had become the interim CEO of our hospital. 
And it was just to say that it was stressful to say that those first few months when, you know, the world is imploding with this new virus mm-hmm. and everyone's fearful and, you know, uh, you're getting information from the health department, the CDC, you know, WHL, and it's all completely conflicting. None of it, you know, none of it is in alignment. It was just a very overwhelming time for me. And I'd already been thinking about um, doing something different. And I've already felt that tug to do something different, but I was like, you know, I can't leave my team. We're, We're in the thick of this, all this is happening. And then it was my birthday and being in a hospital and seeing so much chaos, uncertainty, fear, death made me think about my own like life. And I thought about like, if this is the end for you, or if something were to happen to you, would you say that you live full? Would you say that this was your purpose? Would you say that you were like doing what you were like put on this earth to do? And I felt a strong no. Like I, you know, though this was meaningful and impactful work. And another thing for me, I I didn't realize it at the time, but like my identity had been tied to this. I was pretty career successful before the age of 30 to have have this level of success on paper. Oh my gosh. I didn't feel successful and I didn't feel full. So I made the decision that I was like, you have to resign. And that for me was a big pivotal moment in my life, personally and professionally. Wow. I'm just gonna settle. I, I want a long pause, just kind of capturing all that. I'm In my mind, I'm thinking, wait, did you just say CEO interim for a hospital? And you just, wait, you're under 30. And it was right in the beginning of you know the pandemic and, and uncertainty. And, and then within the year, having this courage to say, I mean, so much courage is the alignment for me. I mean, this, of all of it, the courage to even step into that role, to try to support a healthcare industry in a hospital, and then the courage to change, the courage mm. to decide to do something else on your birthday. It was my birthday that I made the decision. And then I had to, you know, of course, put some things in place and plan and what's that move and what's that transition like. But it was my birthday when it became crystal clear for me that what of what I had to do and how I had to, what next steps I needed to make. I have a, so on that, that decision-making process, uh, I'm wondering, I've been doing this research and thinking lately around the idea of what moves us to change. And so sometimes it is that feeling like it's listening to your body and your body is screaming at you. And sometimes it's the emotion of it. Sometimes it literally is putting it on paper. It's intuition. Sometimes those things are working together. How did you, if you think back to it, what helped you with that discernment? Was it, was it a physical feeling? Did it go beyond that? You know, I think it was a variety of things. I had a person who was a confidant that I reached out to and shared with them how I was feeling. And I'll never forget the words that they said to me. They said, if you don't do what's right for you, you'll be regretful and you'll resent yourself. Mm. So that stood out to me. Another thing is my values. 
So a lot of people, you know, will say, what, what are your values? Maybe it's family, maybe it's wealth, maybe it's your faith, what have you. And I had never like really zoned in on what are like my core values, what's important to me. So I started doing that. And I think um, it's, it's very interesting. And I feel like my cousin, whether he knows it or not, he, he had a lot of it, um, influence on me during this time. My cousin is a funeral home director. So we were talking about, you know, we talk so much about like life and death and, you know, how are you making the most of every moment, maximizing the moment, the time we have here because of his line of work. And then in my line of work in healthcare. And I remember we were talking about like values and how we make decisions in alignment with our values. So you may say that this is your value, but how are you operating within that value? If, that, if that's really important, if that's what you said is important to you, for me, I remember my family, my parents, I'm an only child too, so my parents are very important to me. And I remember being half across the country and you know, concerned about them. They are near 70 and just feeling like, I, I, I feel like there's a tug to, to make sure that they're okay and they're, they're taken care of. And also too, I haven't been home now at this point now, probably in about two years and the world just seems like it's imploding. And I'm talking to my family and I'm wanting to be around them. I'm, I'm, I'm hearing of the things that they're going through. So having that confidant that I that talked about regret, thinking about my values and making decisions that were in alignment with my values and my family is one of my top values. And then the conversation with my cousin about, you know, life and death and, seeing so much of it made me think it just really made it put at the forefront like laser eyed like what are you doing with your life with your time here because whether we you know acknowledge it or not acknowledge it or not life has always been uncertain mm -hmm. maybe the virus or the pandemic really shown put more light around it and, and made people like oh wow I was taking this for granted I was taking that for granted you know um, you know, embraces, hugs, gatherings, all that type of stuff, especially at the very beginning of the pandemic. It, it just really was like, I feel like it was like, I call it an epiphany or a download for me. Like, hmm, mm. it's now, now you have to make a decision. You know the information, what will you do with it? Mm. I, I would love, Hilary, I would love for you to, to chime in. I know that you have so much of your, of your personal experience as well that aligns, but before that, I just, you know, you said something about um, being suppressed for two decades. Mm. You know, um, for two decades, my life was suppressed. You know, my, my dreams were suppressed. And then you just kind of didn't take a leap of faith of following what your own dreams were. So this led to you not existing, not living. And I what I'm hearing as well is the, it's, we're vulnerable as, as kids. When we grow up, values are or virtues are given to, I mean, the values are given to us. They're, they're said to us, our families, usually it's our families. They will say, you know what you value, honey, you value family, you value wealth, <laughs> you value wealth, whatever. And you live with that. The grades. Go, oh yeah. man, let's not talk about achievement, you know, but, um, <laughs> and then there is this, this really, this turning point that I don't think many of us realize it happens when we become these young adults that, we can deconstruct those values and, and rebuild 
what is it for us as an individual now? Yes, I will. Some of these values for my family will come with me, but some may not. And I might find another one that I'm going to add to. And perhaps when we, we, we call this self-discovery um, with the decided heart effect, we're, we're, self, we're re- redefining what our identities are. And then we were this new person. So Hillary, I know that you have something as well to add. Well, no, I just, uh, that's, I'm listening to you and it's so important that first step. I think it's so interesting. You did so many things that we've actually seen as being the way that someone does it to move and pivot in their life, right? Research backs it. The number one thing where you start with, and we call it virtues, values, you know, what, who it, who am I going to decide at not being passive in my life? How am I going to decide to show up? What am I going to decide is important to me? And then once you make that decision, really, I love the fact that you went to somebody who you trusted to be able to hear yourself and work through that and see, is this really where I want to go with this? How does this sound? How did this, this trusted person that I work with and, and know and love, how do they respond to it? Because they know me. And then when you see that recognition of like, oh yeah then it's moving that into that place of activating your dream as, as you would put it. So I just, I love the path and the process that you have here. And I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that this is then shown up in the work that you do with your clients now. Absolutely. Um, I'm finding you'll hear the term like thriving and not surviving. And I used to say, and now the thing that's really I guess impacting me most is fulfillment. Mm -hmm. I would say that from the outside looking in, people would think that, well, you were thriving, but I wasn't fulfilled. Mm -hmm. There was something missing. And the more I interact with people, talk with people, whether they be a college student or an executive, people are really trying to find like, how do I have the most impact, the most influence and do what I'm purpose to do? Mm. I believe that when we do what we're purpose to do, we perform at just a level that's incomparable. And I think that's across the continuum and everybody's just trying to find like, okay, what's my thing? What's my niche? Why am I here? And I think that's like really the, the core to, to people. People want to know how can I be at my personal best? And, and it's a journey, right? Um, it's interesting, you know, as we're on this podcast and recording, for me, what I've been doing, which has been, I would say interesting, yes, is like listening to podcasts that I was on at the top of the year. So in January and seeing my own like personal growth. I think we're just all just trying to become better and better each and every day and having support and guidance. And as we talked about, you know, a close confidence, people who will give you the best knowledge or the best information and sometimes take the blinders off. I find that the skill set that I'm strongest with, with other people is where for me, it's like, that I have to continue to work on that. Sometimes we do things, um, I found also too, sometimes we do things so naturally 
that we discredit it. We're like, you don't think, we don't even think anything of it. That happened to me recently where, you know, I was trying to figure out, well, am I good at this? Am I good at that? Or is this something that's a skill set? Or, you know, where do I fit in? And they're like, you do realize you do this, this, and this, like, you just, you wake up like that, like Beyonce, you wake up like this. (laughs) You wake up fabulous. (laughs) Now that you mention it, yes. And they're like, you realize that those are your gifts and talents, but you do it so naturally you discredit it. You don't even think anything of it. You know, people like practice and even like we think about public speaking, get sweaty palms and you're just flowing. And I was like, hmm, I never thought about it like that. So that's been interesting as well. Yeah. I, you know, um, we're, I've, I see this over and over um, that it's really hard to expand or elevate or lift without someone helping you. Like, mm-hmm needing that we call it the companion to, to re, like, it's a mirror um, because if we're stuck in our own heads, we'll continue to say the same narrative that we've been saying. We don't know that there's a different narrative, but when we have that confidant and I, Hillary, you're my confidant, Ditto, it's that relay. It, and it, and it's not only just a cheerleader, it's, it's the, the push. It's sometimes like, Hey, get out of there. Where, why are you stuck down there? Get up you know, and that's how we expand in in ourselves is that, and that's where we call like, you know, having these trusted relationships in our lives. And it's so important that they are trusted too. I mean, I think that that's the key to what you're saying. So many people Raven feel like they have to do this on their own and they're afraid. It's like, they're so muddled up inside and they have, they lack so much clarity that they're afraid to even go to, they don't even know what to say to someone, but you just have to start. And that's where coaches like yourself are so valuable is to start to just talk. And it's not for someone we're so used to someone actively telling us what to do, that it's a new experience. So we become passive, right? We become passive in our own lives and going out and actually seeking the answers and being curious and I love, you know, we have a friend, Mark, who was also on the show, who's Ikigai. He, he does Ikigai. And he's like, keep a notebook, go and talk to people that you trust and say, hey, what do you think I'm good at? And then when you look at the list, what lights you up when you read? Like, I mean, I might be good at writing research papers, but it does not light up my heart, right? Like that does not make me happy. But when someone says, wow, you can really read people's energy. I'm like, Ooh, I love reading people's energy. That makes me so excited. So I'm going to do more of that. And you just continue to go down and make those decisions. You know, you don't have to have it all figured out, but you just have to take that next, next right step. And I think what's powerful too, is you are able to parlay it into your new profession and probably not a new profession. It's just a professional. You probably were always doing it right. Mm -hmm. Just naturally. But I think what's so interesting is, is, you know, we also don't, I feel like we, it's important to say, we don't always need to find that fulfillment in our job. It's great if we do, but some is in our volunteering. Sometimes it is in cooking for your neighbor or whatever that is. I think don't be afraid, no matter how big or how small something is showing up on your heart, that that is a real thing. Wouldn't you, what do you think Raven? I completely agree. And actually, actually, I think tying our identity to what we do is not necessarily healthy because if that is stripped from us or taken away from us or just changes or transitions, I, I realized like I had to, after I transitioned from uh, my last role, like it was almost like a grieving process. Oh. And when I 
took the first few months trying to figure out, okay, what do I want to do? What does that look like? And people were like, oh, what are you doing? Or what, what are you working on now? And, and I used to could say, oh, I have this C-suite title, or I was doing this or do that. I felt like, huh, was that like ego that was attached to a title versus the impact that you make in the world. And another thing that you just said, Hillary, stood out to me. I remember when I hired my first coach and I kept saying, oh, I just feel like I'm starting over. I'm starting from scratch. And she was like, change your language. Mm. You're starting from scratch. What you're doing, you've already done. You've been doing it for years. You're just doing it in a different space. It's a new vertical. That is all. And that has been something for me that I have to daily continue to say to myself because I feel new in this space in the coaching space and I've had this training but some of these things it's like you've been doing them all along that was the way you were able to you know rise in your career and be able to be successful and lead teams in different um, challenging environments that's the reason you had these skills already maybe you were doing them for another organization, for another company, and now you're doing them for your company, it's just a different space. And like reprogramming my mind to, to do that and to receive that, that's something I still uh, am troubled with daily. Like, okay, so, cause you, sometimes we take all of our, I guess I would call it past success and then try to say, well, how does it work in this environment? Mm -hmm. And it's, it is different. You're, you're not starting over. You're just, it's, you know, when you're in the job market, they're like, what are your transferable skills? <laughs> it's just, <laughs> right. It's just yes. something that's transferring. Um, and that has been challenging for me because I was like, oh, wow. How much was I tying, you know, who I am, what I am, to a particular role. And it's like, no, there's other things that I find enjoyable. There's other ways that I impact people. Like I have great friends and I've found things that I really enjoy lately, like friends that I can just laugh with for hours and talk and um, you know, just, just make people feel good. That's been enjoyable. That's been fulfilling to me to have someone say like, you know, I love talking with you because I know like, when I talk with you, I feel like a security and I feel that, you know, you're listening, mm -hmm. just listening Not you know, oftentimes people don't want to, you know, have a response. Sometimes people just want someone, Hey, I just need to let it all out, you know, better. That's why I love journaling too. My dad says better out than in, but yes. it just feels good just to have someone that you feel like is a comfortable and a safe space. And I found, especially during this, you know, difficult season that we're in, that it's fulfilling to me to be that safe space and for other people to allow um, to create that same space for me. For sure. I mean, we would love for you to, to talk more about your current projects and how you are supporting the healthcare industry. Can you describe a little bit more on, your, on what, you're, what you are doing currently? Yes, so working with healthcare organizations, the biggest thing right now is staffing crises. Mm. And what I found when I was in the healthcare environment and world is that a lot of times people don't feel connected, don't mm -hmm. feel connected to their environment, maybe even connected to the mission. Mm -hmm. And one of my natural talents that I didn't necessarily recognize until a mentor brought this to my attention is uplifting, affirming. Mm -hmm. uh, you never know how something is 
preparing you for the next thing until it happens. So I used to live in Houston. So I was there during Hurricane Harvey. And that was a very challenging time for our healthcare teams. I remember just getting like, you know, we were dumped on for about five days straight. You know, I have pictures of nurses in waist deep water, just trying to do whatever they can. I remember talking to the National Guard for hours, like, hey, can you airlift this nurse here? Or can we move this particular um, uh, patient here? All those type of things and coordinating that. And I remember having people say like, I remember during that time, Raven, you stayed very steady, focused, clear, calm, connected. Cause I felt that that was my role. I'm not clinical. So how can I be of support to my team members? And they can't see me, you know, like being like, oh my gosh, what's going on? Maybe I sometimes how I felt like inside, I'd never experienced that. And especially as a young new leader, that was the first time in that particular role that I had uh, a leadership role with people that people like direct reports. I had nearly a hundred direct reports at that time. And I think when the pandemic happened or hit, in um, March of 2020, I had other comments like, you seem very kind of calm, relaxed, whatever. And I remember thinking maybe internally, I'm, you know, a little worked up as well. Like, what does this look like? You know, the world doesn't know what this looks like and it's still unfolding. But I think like my calm, steady, like nature and having that previous experience with the category five hurricane really prepared me for the next um, chaos, uncertainty, fear situation in healthcare. So I think for me, my biggest asset that I bring to organizations is how do we, in the midst of all of this, how do we stay focused? How do we stay connected to the mission? How do we protect our people? No people, you know, no patients. So how do we make sure um, our team members feel that they are valued, they are heard, um, that, you know, they're seen and they are appreciated. That is what makes people come back, no matter how fatigued, um, exhausted. This, this right now that we're experiencing feels like a marathon. Yes. How does it keep coming back every day to, you know, be essential workers, frontline workers, heroes in these challenging times? And I think it's really making sure that, that that work environment feels like you're, you're home away from home. It's my home while I'm here and I'm gonna do my best job. And that's like, that's my gift, really affirming people, hearing people and making the necessary adjustments to make sure people feel like this is a, an environment that cares for me, that is protecting me and that wants to make sure that I'm able to be in a psychologically safe environment and do my best work. And I think, that's what our healthcare system needs to get back to. How do we make sure that our, our team members feel hurt? They are tired, they are exhausted. And when you can't see the light at the end of the tunnel and you're like, when is this over? When is this ending? You really have to have to be there for people. You really have to encourage people and you really have to make sure people know that they are valued, they are appreciated. And this organization, this company, this enterprise, we have your backs. Wow. That's, I, I'm, I'm like, I'm about to burst because I hear so many things in what you're saying that are just resonating so much. You're speaking, Sonia, in my language so much. And, and what's interesting, there's two things in particular I would love to just put an exclamation point on from what you said, just so our listeners really sink into it as well and really hear it. 
And the first is, so what you're describing from yourself, Sonia and I call detached compassion, which seems counterintuitive, right? Like if you're detached, how can you be connected? But you're detached from the outcome and from the emotion and from the things that put you into a place where you're not able to respond and you react instead. So you detach from the outcome, but you still show up with compassion and understanding and forgiveness and the ability to hold that safe space. And so it, it, that's, it sounds like your gift is that detached compassion and it can be trained, but when it's a natural gift, it's absolutely beautiful because for those where it's not intuitive, it becomes, it, it, it's, it takes a lot of work because a lot of us show up first with our reaction and then, re and then regret it later, right? You've seen that happen. Um, so I, I just want to honor you for that. I think that that is so beautiful that that's such a natural quality of yours and so necessary and such a key component to not only being a great companion and coach, but also great for your own personal joy, because that's what allows you to have the ability to um, disconnect from the job and be able to be happy in your own life as well. The other thing that I really wanted to I don't know if you've read the book, um, Leaders Eat Last. I'm in the middle of reading that. Yes. Okay. I see the head nod. And so you're really describing that belongingness, which is something that Sonia and I ascribe to too. She really sees it in college. Like the number one, she's also a college admissions counselor um, or college counselor. And so was a college admissions counselor, now a college counselor. <laughs> and so if she, um, when the, the number one indicator, and I'll let her talk to it in, in a second here, is whether or not a student feels like they belong there. It's the same in an organization. It's the same in a family. It's the same in a friendship. And we've, we've lost sight of not only do we belong, but are we creating belonging? Are we creating safety? Are we creating a place where people want to be a part of it and that they know that when they come there, they're going to feel loved, supported, lifted, heard, seen, all of those things that you were just talking about and that they can grow there in a safe space where they don't have to worry about getting retaliation or, you know, it just is, it's so, so powerful. So I, I'm really resonating. Sonia, did you want to add? Yes, a lot. <laughs> no, not a lot, not a lot, I promise. But I couldn't help but feel for the hundred people working relying on you and depending mm. on you and to to know that you can rely on leadership and depend on leadership that takes absolute skill to do okay. and like Hillary kind of hit it like that detached companionship really does build the trust because you are steady you are constant okay. and at the end of the day that what you do because I'm, I'm sure I'm sure at first it's like oh my gosh I'm a nurse I'm going to be on a helicopter and I'm going to save lives okay, that feels good maybe from a certain point and then the marathon doesn't end and then you get tired. So how else do you show up? I think to me, it's the belonging. Who has my back? Okay. I have these backs, I will, but who has mine? And that reciprocal, that, that reciprocal re like nature of a relationship, it is the power of belonging. It is the power of family. And ultimately what that stems for is it's love. That mm -hmm. I love my job because I love the people I'm working for and the people who are working for me and the patients that I'm saving. That to me is this, this universal. Um, and I, I just have to stick, you know, like Hillary, what she's really taught me is this, the virtues, you know, like the virtues are that you can always say for, for me, I am compassionate. I am resilient. I am patient. No matter where I go, 
that is what defines me. That is my identity. So I can always apply those things to whatever role or whatever thing I do, because if I show up in, in the most, you know, in the, in the strength that I have, that is where that positive impact happens. And I am hearing all of those things from you, Raven. Right. I know you're just Raven. You're so speaking our language and, and you're just an amazing light to have out there for the people that you're working with. And, you know, I would love, I mean, we want her all day, right? I do. I know, I know. all, all day, every day. It would be so wonderful. But, but before we close out the show, I would love, I mean, specifically, I love that you talk about activating dreams and we can't, we can't go without hearing what it means to activate a dream. Yeah. So I guess I would say the genesis of that is when I was younger, I loved to perform. I love theater. I love the stage. I share with you all um, a little bit offline that I am very introverted. So the time where I felt that I got to like express myself and really, you know, be big and it was on a stage and to see people's faces light up or to see people like locked in and, and listening and watching every movement, it, it gave me like that, that burst of like almost like a rush. And when I was younger, I said, okay, I want to be an actress. I want to make a career out of that. Well, negativity, you know, negative uh, naysayers and negative self chatter and, you know, background upbringing, all of those outside factors really got inside. And I didn't pursue that 110%. Mm -hmm. And it felt like an emptiness. So like, as I felt like I always had a, a way of connecting with people when I was on a stage, whether it was with one person or with thousands watching, I loved that. I enjoyed that. I enjoyed pouring into people. And I felt that that, that was missing from like my life for, for years. And I was, you know, in healthcare and I felt that I, again, was like playing almost like small, not being my full authentic self and that I had allowed like my dreams to go by the wayside. And when you are in a, I was in a critical illness recovery hospital and a lot of our patients were terminal. Mm. When you are seeing that, it's a reminder that, you know, of the circle of life. And it just reminded me like, Raven, you still have those dreams. You still have those visions. You still have those goals. Are, are you going to die with them inside of you? And I believe a lot of people have what I call it, that inner tug, that pull to do something more, do something different. I've always wanted to try this. This seems interesting. This seems cool. I'm like really good at this and I don't know why that they don't give themselves, as we talked about mm. earlier, permission mm -hmm. to explore that because the, what if I fail? What if I fall? What if it doesn't work out? People are going to laugh at me. I was in healthcare. Now I'm doing coaching or I was in healthcare. Now I'm doing acting. What will people think? All of that, you know, I, I call it self, call it lower self talking to you. Mm -hmm. Us being concerned about, you know, outside opinions. 
for years, I think I allowed that to really cloud me doing what I feel that I was purposed to do, to impact people through voice, to impact people, um, whether it be in an individual connection or in a group or an auditorium on a stage. And I felt that almost, not only was I robbing myself, I was robbing other people of the, the change, the impact that I could have on their lives. Mm. So activating the dream for me is I know that there are so many other people who can relate to what I'm saying. Like I've always wanted to try this. I've always wanted to do this. The fear, uncertainty, um, negative self-chatter, maybe well-meaning, well-intentioned people in our families and our friend circles, you know, told us that that's going to be really challenging. Do you really think you can make money from that? Because, you know, that's, you know, that's something people always say, well, how are you going to make money from that? It's real great. But how, you know, what does that look like in terms of a salary? We allow all of that inside of us. And I did. And I want to be that, that change that I want to see, right? I want to, let's eliminate these obstacles. Mm. Let's create possibilities. So something may be the case. There may be something that disadvantages you from, you know, background, socioeconomic status. Those may be true. How do we overcome that? How do we go beyond that? How do we just say, yep, that's true. That, that may be factual, but I'm going to be the, be the change maker. I'm going to be the one. And I believe like I'm the one to show people that despite, you know, whatever is maybe all the isms that may be working against me, I'm going to rise above that. I'm going to activate the dream that I have inside of me. And I'm going to help other people activate their dreams. Wow. Yes. I'm sorry. Wow. I'm like, yes. <laughs> Raven, I just, um, right, right now I'm just celebrating and, and thanking you, like the courage, your service, your compassion, the grit. Um, you model it. And I can imagine that with every person or organization that you serve, you are going to inject all of those things just by by being representing and living that model and those virtues. Um, so thank you so much. I want to uh, I wanted to say, you know, I know that like for me, like I want to get more of you. Okay. How do our viewers and listener listeners get more of you? Where can they go to get um, all the, the the things that you have to offer? The best way to contact me is through LinkedIn. I'm Raven M. Harris on LinkedIn. Also, my website is activatethedream.com. And I'm Raven M. Harris on all social platforms, Instagram, Facebook. But yeah, send me a message through LinkedIn and let me know that you listen to the podcast. Awesome. Oh, that would be fun. And we, we also will have all of those in our uh, in the bio and our description of everything too, in case we, but y'all know you need a little more Raven in your lives. We all need a little more Raven in our lives and yep. Sonia says so too. <laughs> and on behalf of Raven, Sonia, and myself, I do want to say we're encouraging everybody out there to get curious, to think about how they want to show up in their lives and to go on and activate their dreams, have the courage to do it. She did it. She'll help you. We'll help you. We've got your back. We can be your wolf pack, right? We can create belonging, right? Raven. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> We've got it. We've got it. So thank you again, Raven, for joining us. Thank you all again for listening or watching from out there. Be sure that if you have not yet subscribed on whatever podcast platform you're listening to or our YouTube channel, that you go ahead and do that. 
and then hit the little button to make sure you receive the notifications because you don't want to miss episodes like this. They're life-changing. I'm telling you. (laughs) So thank you again for joining us. And until next time, don't forget to live with a decided heart.